Tonight, God's Word comes to us from Acts 4 and Acts 5. We're going to begin our reading at verse 32 of Acts 4 and then read through verse 11 of Acts 5. That is printed in the worship folder or you can turn there in your Bibles at this time. Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 32. What we hear now is God's Word. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, I hope by now you have noticed in our study of the book of Acts that Acts is a very practical book. It not only gives us the history of what was going on in the New Testament church, but gives us some very practical ways that we can, we can practice our piety before God. We spent time looking at a couple of the sermons in Acts. And it was instructive for us, what should we look for in a sermon? 
We talked last night about prayer in the book of Acts, and that also helpful for us. How do we pray in a way that is pleasing to God? Tonight, we look at the topic of giving, the relationship of believers and their possessions. And this is also a very practical matter for our Christian life. What is our attitude toward our possessions? What is our attitude toward giving in the church? Tonight, we see the fairly familiar story of Ananias and Sapphira. Perhaps you know that story, children, how they went and told Peter they had sold the property for so much money, but they lied, and Ananias falls dead first, and his wife falls dead later. It's a, it's a terrible story, but it's a story that's, I think, seen better in its context in light of what takes place at the end of Acts chapter 4. At the end of Acts 4, we have the principle of what our giving is to look like, a principle that is um, highlighted in the example of Joseph, who is called Barnabas. And then in Acts chapter 5, we have that negative example of when that principle is not followed in the persons of Ananias and Sapphira. We see in this one story with these two parts, uh, God's design for a Christian's relation to their possessions and Satan's deception with regard to that same issue. We begin tonight with God's design for the relationship of a Christian to their possessions. Verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were one of heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in, in common. They were of one heart and soul. They, they began with a proper attitude toward their possessions. They recognized that, that in the church there is a oneness a oneness that will be manifest in the way we deal with the things God has given to us. They were of one heart and of one soul. A church united. They found their unity not in, um, in their common ethnicity, although very likely most, if not all, were Jews. They found their unity not in a similar socioeconomic condition. They found their unity not in their family ties. They found their unity in Jesus Christ and their love for him and their desire to serve him. That's what made them one of heart and one of soul. We read in verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. They were committed to, a, to a, a confession of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior, his life, his death, his resurrection. This is what bound them together as a people of God, the apostolic teaching, the witness to Jesus Christ, and great grace is upon this church as they are one in heart and one in soul. Their unity was found in their common confession of Jesus Christ and being instructed in his word. Where do we find our unity 
as a congregation? Is our unity found in the externals? Is our unity found in a common ethnicity? Now, some of us have a common ethnic background. Is our unity found in a common socioeconomic condition, perhaps many middle class, upper middle class? Is our unity found in the fact that this was a grandpa and grandma's church, and it was my parents' church, and now it's my church? Where do we find our unity as a body of believers, that we might be one in heart and soul? Is it, in the, is it fundamentally in the confession of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior, that has to be what is foundational for us. Our attitude begins with an attitude about God and who He is and what He has done for us. If you are looking for a church home and you wonder as you look around, do I fit in here? If you confess Jesus Christ, if you confess His life, death, and resurrection, all those other things are secondary. You absolutely belong here. This is the church of Jesus Christ. We must never let the secondary things become primary. The primary is the gospel, which is why every Lord's Day we give that call of the gospel again. We don't say, if you're of a certain social class, come and join us. If you're from a certain family background, come and join us. No, every Sunday we say, if you believe Jesus Christ, if you confess He is your only hope for salvation from your sins, then yes, this is where you belong. Come and join the congregation of our God. Their unity was found in a common confession. And that unity then set the tone for how they dealt with their possessions. First of all, a unity of attitude, a unity of spirit. We read in verse 32 once again, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now we have to be careful not to misread this text as it has been misread in the past that somehow this is an early form of Christian communism. No one owning anything themselves, but everyone owning everything. Now, that's not what the text says. It doesn't say everyone owned everything. It says, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own. In other words, they still owned things themselves, but they did not claim them as if these things were only for their own pleasure. They recognized that they had things which they owned that were given to them for the good of the body, for the good of this unity of heart and mind and soul. Their, their possessions were for the good of others, not only for the good of themselves. Now, this is not Christian communism. We read in the beginning of chapter 5 where Peter says, look, when you had the land, wasn't it your own? And even you sold it, it was still yours to deal with. So no, they, they still had their own possessions, their own things, but they didn't consider them as their own. But were willing to use them in the service of others. They recognized everything which they called theirs was a gift from God. And that's really where we 
need to begin with our understanding of what we call our possessions. That's why I read Psalm 24 earlier tonight. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything belongs to God. We don't really hold a title to anything in this life. Everything we have, we have received as a gift. When we keep that in mind, that these are not my things, not things I have earned and acquired, these are gifts from God. It helps us have that proper attitude of a willingness to share them with the body. We don't hold these things as if they were given to us only for our own pleasure. But we are stewards of the gifts God has given. We are caretakers of His possessions. And so whether we use them for ourselves or whether we use them in the service of others, we are still those who have been the recipients of these gifts. Our attitude is is of a desire to love the body, one in heart and soul, and a recognition. We are stewards of the gifts God has given to us. Beginning with that godly attitude, now that moves them to act in a particular way. And we have in verse 34, There was not a needy person among them, For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And we see in verse 34 and 35 really three fundamental principles for giving in the church. Three principles for how they gave out of that love for the Lord, out of that sense of oneness with each other. The first principle, uh, they gave voluntarily. They were not compelled to give, but they wanted to give. They gave as God had blessed them. They were willing to sell their lands or sell their houses for the sake of others. In, uh, in the 2 Corinthians, Paul will speak about that voluntary giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We are not to give under compulsion. We're not to give reluctantly. We are to give voluntarily. We should take joy in giving to the church. It's a desire to do what God wants us to do. Uh, Bringing our tithes to God is not like um, uh, paying our taxes. And this upcoming week, as you know, taxes are due. If you're a quarterly taxpayer, quarterly taxes are due. And I I have to confess, I don't often uh, take joy in writing those checks out. But to the church... It should be our desire, our privilege, to give to the works of the Lord. We give voluntarily because of a love for God and a love for His people. And this idea of voluntary giving does not in any way undermine the biblical principle of tithing. We've talked about that before, how how tithing is that proportional giving. This speaks about the attitude of our hearts as we tithe. 
We are to do so joyfully, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, but cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, that one text, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, doesn't undercut everything else God has said about giving to him proportionally. We are to do so out of a love for him, a desire to serve him. They are to give voluntarily, and they are to give, I'm going to use the word occasionally. Now, I don't just mean from time to time, but their giving fit the occasion. Again, notice the text. There was no needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, brought them to the, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and it was distributed to each as any had need. As a need developed, they would give. They would give on the occasion of a need being present. Now, we know that as the church developed throughout the New Testament, their giving became more uh, structured. Not only occasional, to meet an occasion, a particular need, but also regular ongoing giving. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he says, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside something and store it up that he may prosper, so there will be no collecting when I come. You're to set apart on the first day of the week something to give to God, a regular ongoing pattern of giving. And that's where we are at today, not simply occasional giving, although we do that as well, but a regular pattern of giving. Every Lord's Day, we have the privilege of bringing tithes and offerings to God. The deacons bring uh, uh, suggestions to us for what to give, and we give to those various causes tonight for Providence Christian College. A regular, ongoing pattern in our piety. Just like all parts of our piety, we have to have a regular pattern develop. So in our giving, we do that regularly. We bring tithes and offerings every Lord's Day to our God. They were to give voluntarily, they were to give occasionally, and they were to give, I'm going to use the word, officially. They were to give officially. Now, it's wonderful when a congregation is so in tune with each other's needs that if a need arises, someone just from the congregation goes to fill that need. That's a wonderful thing and a blessed thing. But there's also a sense of more official giving. Notice what happened. End of verse 34. Uh, they sold their houses and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. They gave it to the office bearers to distribute to those in need. Again, this doesn't do away with all individual informal giving, but it gives a, it gives a principle for us, a sense of giving to the office bearers. Now we know, as we'll see Acts uh, unfold, while they gave first to the apostles, later the apostles were too busy to administer all of these needs and funds, and they set up the diaconate. The diaconate is set apart as those church officers to care for the needs of the people. That's how we are to give, officially. 
It's wonderful to meet each other's needs. Please don't stop doing that. But we also give to the office bearers. They often have a, a greater awareness of the needs of the congregation. And so we provide for them that they can provide for those who are in need. When the, when the deacons go and do their work, they don't go in their own name. They don't say, hey, here am I. I'm giving you this gift. No, they go in Christ's name. And on Christ's behalf, they minister to the very real physical needs of God's people. They can only do that when we as a congregation give officially that they might have the ability to reach out to others. They gave voluntarily, they gave occasionally, they gave officially, and then we have an example given to us in verse 36. Thus, Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, meaning son of encouragement, sold a field that belonged to him, did it voluntarily, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He did it officially. The picture of, of the type of giving that God desires in his church, an attitude of oneness with God, oneness with his people, God's design to give in this way, pictured for us in Joseph who was called Barnabas. That then becomes the backdrop for the story in Acts chapter 5. And in light of, of this clear principle laid out, God wants his people to be one. He wants them to give for the benefit of the body. We see how terrible it was the sin of Ananias and Sapphira, how Satan twisted God's design and deceived them that they would act in this way. After talking about Barnabas, who took the money, laid it at the apostles' feet, but a man named Ananias and his wife also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Not a sense of oneness, not a sense of a desire to serve the body, but wanting to be self-serving. They would hold some back for themselves. Perhaps they wanted the, uh, the recognition of a Joseph it's called Barnabas, son of encouragement, without actually doing the work, without actually doing the giving. They had seen how, how he was honored, and so they want some of that, but yet hold back part of what they had. They lied to God about their giving. It wasn't just that they were holding back. They were lying to God about it, compounding their sin. Look at verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? They were lying. He says to them, you have not lied to man. You have lied to God. When it comes to our spirituality, when it comes to our piety, we can hide some things from some people. We can hide some things from our spouses. We can hide some things from our families. We can hide some things from our fellow church members. But we can never hide anything from God. He knows us. 
He knows everything about us. When it comes to our spirituality, we can, we can fool other people about certain things. I can uh, go to my desk and sit with my Bible open and, and stare down at it for a half an hour and fool others into thinking my devotional time was reading the Bible for a half an hour. I can sit in my chair with my hands folded and my eyes closed and fool those around me to think that I'm actually spending time in prayer. We can fool others about certain things in our spiritual life. But when it comes to our giving, and particularly when it comes to our tithing, we cannot fool anyone about that. The numbers speak for themselves. Either we do it or we don't. Our checkbook will be a reflection of what is in our hearts. I can fool others about lots of things. But when I do the math, either I'm giving the way God has called me to or I am not. We cannot fake tithing, and we cannot fool God. He knows what we have because he gave us everything we have. It all comes from him. The earth is the Lord's. And he calls us to be faithful with that which he has given. They tried to fool the apostle, but he would not be fooled, for God would not be mocked. They're lying to God. They're attempting to fool the apostles and fool others had harsh consequences. Verse 5, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. He lied to God, and he was killed. His wife comes in about three hours later. Peter says to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She says, yes, for so much. Peter said to her, how is it you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. For lying to God... They were both struck dead. Confronted with their sin, they continued in the lie. And you say, but that doesn't happen today. People aren't struck dead today. That is only because of God's grace. And that is only because of His mercy. And it is because of God's patience as He continues to instruct us. Perhaps His patience with us with regard to our possessions that we might have this study of Acts chapter 4 and 5 tonight, to be challenged, to be encouraged, to consider our possessions, our attitude toward them, and our giving toward the things of the Lord. Yeah, we don't see people dropping down dead because God is merciful and gracious and He is patient with His people. We might take to heart the truths given to us in His Word, and particularly in the book of Acts. Tonight, God instructs us about our possessions. He instructs us about giving. What is our attitude? What is our relationship to the things that we have? Are they things that we hold for our own pleasure, for our own enjoyment? Or do we recognize them as gifts from God? 
that we are stewards to use these things in God's service? Do we have a desire to bless the body of believers or simply to, to build ourselves up? And have, with that desire, that attitude of serving God and serving his people, have we acted upon that? Have we put into place a plan where we might give in accord to how God has blessed us, lovingly, cheerfully, voluntarily, that in all things, God's people might be taken care of and God might be given the honor for all the gifts he has given. May God help us tonight to, by his spirit, apply this word. You know the recesses of your heart as I know the recesses of mine. But that God would take this word and, and, and shine light that we might have a greater devotion and a greater obedience to living according to his instructions. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we do thank you for your holy word, a word that talks about the spiritual nature of our lives, a word that talks about very practical material things, how we hold the possessions which you have given to us. And Lord God, in all of this, you speak clearly and you speak truthfully. Help us once again tonight to submit to your holy word. If we have been, Lord God, lying to others, if we have been lying to ourselves about our possessions and the giving that we are doing, forgive us, O God. Restrain your hand of judgment. Be patient, we pray, that your spirit might work in us to help us to conform our lives, our possessions, and our giving to a way that is pleasing unto you. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We are going to turn in our worship folder to number